Welcome to episode 19 of the Media Sport podcast series. I'm your host, Brett Hutchins, and thank you to Rowan McCosa for creating the new opening sting that now starts each episode. Today, our attention turns again to Europe, following previous episodes that discussed Germany and Scandinavia. As I speak, the round of 16 games for Euro 2016, the quadrennial UEFA European Football Championships, are being played, with the welcome success of the tiny island nation of Iceland, the story of the tournament so far. Travelling alongside the European Championships is the political earthquake caused by the EU referendum result in the UK. For example, it's a result that may influence the way that football players move to and from the UK for the English Premier League. The combination of these two events reflects the focus of this episode, the power and importance of public policy, market regulation and economics in sport, television and digital media. I'm joined by Tom Evans from the iMinds Research Group for Media and ICT in the Department of Communication Studies at Ghent University in Belgium. Tom's research focuses on the economics and policies of television and digital media markets, with a particular interest in distribution strategies, media concentration, broadcast rights and next generation networks. He is a widely published author whose research is available in international journals such as Media Culture and Society, the Journal of Popular Television, and Journal of Sport and Social Issues. Alongside Karen Donders, he edited a recent special issue of Telematics and Informatics on Television Distribution, Economic Dimensions, Emerging Policies. This special issue features articles focused on television markets in the US, Canada, South Korea, Australia and Thailand. Most significantly, He is a co-author of the book The Political Economy of Television Sports Rights, published by Palgrave Macmillan. Written with Petros Iosifidis and Paul Smith, it is a book that I endorse heartily because it demonstrates the continuing significance of television as an ensemble of technologies and viewing practices that harness enormous economic power. And it features an invaluable series of country reports that analyse Brazil, India, Italy, South Africa, Spain, the US, UK and Australia. Tom's Twitter handle is at EvansTom. Evans spelled E-V-E-N-S. Tom, thanks for joining me for the Media Spot podcast series. Hi, hi Brett. I'd like to start by discussing recent events. What's the mood like in Belgium given the progress of the national team in Euro 2016 and Looking at it more broadly, what does autonomous tell us about the state of television and sports markets in Europe at this moment? Well, uh, first of all, our, our national team is, is, is performing very well. So um, we are uh, told that Finland, uh, Iceland, sorry, is is uh, is the story so far of the tournament. So we hope that uh, Belgium will be. Um, the story of, of the whole tournament, once it is, is, is finished, or will be finished. Um, so we're, we're, we're really hoping that we can, that our players can bring the cup home. Uh, that would be very uh, fantastic for a small country as, as ours, and, and as we have a lot of great players, um, I think the chances are not that large, but the, there is any chance that we uh, get the 
the cup and, and, and become the new uh, European champions. Um, what that means uh, for uh, the state of television, well, actually, um, just catch what is new about this new Euro 2016. Um, for the first time, the European Championship tournament um, is now being contested by 24 teams, whereas in, in previous times, there were only 16 teams uh, participating to, to, to the tournament, that since 1996. Um, so there are many more teams and, and, and there's much more to do in Europe about this um, European Championship because many more teams are, are joining that. Um, but on, on the other hand, we see uh, many, more, uh, many smaller teams are, are, are there on, on, on the Championship. Um, and as a result, uh, to be critical, um, the quality of play is not really there in all the games. I've, I've seen a lot of these games already, and, and, and most half of them, let's say, were dull matches with, with any, any, hardly any chances being created, hardly any, any, any goals that were scored. Um, but, of course, the UEFA, so the, the, the association organizing the, the championship, is driven by commercial strategy. Uh, money rules the game, of course, money rules football and, 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 and sports in general. And uh, previously there were 31 games and now there are 51 games. So there are 20 more than four years ago in 2012 in Poland and in Ukraine. Um, which means that about 1 million tickets, more, more tickets are, are, are to sell and also TV rights uh, may increase and, and indeed the sale of TV rights has increased with about 25% uh, compared with the previous time. Uh, the total value is about 1 billion euro. Um, compare that with the Copa America, which just finished in, 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 in the United States. We, there were, these rights were sold for about 112 million dollars. Uh, right? um, so, it, it financially, the tournament will become success. UEFA uh, has already announced it will uh, almost double their revenue up to about uh, 2 billion uh, euro. Um, so from a commercial perspective, um, Euro 2012, uh, 2016 will be a success. Um, and I think television has a, or, or plays a major part in that. Huh? When, when we look at, at, at the ratings in, 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 in the countries that, that participate, we see that these ratings are soaring and, and, and they have their they break the records ever. England's game against Slovakia, which was a goalless draw and, and, and one of the most awful games I saw in, in many years. Um, the biggest audience for the England team uh, this year and also um, in, in the last years. And with about 14 million viewers, um, and it's expected that over 20 million people will watch once England will, will reach a knockout phase. Uh, but when you compare that with the big TV shows in England, like for example the Great British Bake Off final last year was, was Britain's best viewed program, and that drew about 15 million people. Huh? So you see that sports is still a, are still able to deliver massive numbers of viewers like no other event can do, even in times of online streaming, on-demand platforms. Television is still very strong and still is, is able to to attract a, a massive number of, of, of people. What does Euro 2016 or indeed Copa America 
tell us about the, de the declining or perhaps increasing role of public service television in relation to free-to-air commercial television or the subscription and, and pay or cable television sectors? Yeah, well, actually in, 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 in Europe, public service broadcast is still very strong also in terms of, of sports rights. Uh, but there is something happening on, 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 or there is something on the horizon, let's say, that is threatening that position. Uh, and, and the major threat is, of course, austerity. So most public service broadcasters, the whole idea of public service broadcasting is a bit under pressure in many countries. Um, because of, of one of the reasons I gave is that uh, public service broadcasting, television and radio, um, is a bit distorting the market. And when the market is going down or when the economics are, are, are not good enough anymore for the media industry, then you will hear commercial media complain about these conditions. And that is what is happening today, that when private broadcasters are suffering a decline of advertising revenue, they turn to, to, to government and say, well, actually, but what the public service broadcasters are doing, this is not just right, they are destroying a bit our business. And as a result of all that lobby process, which is going on for many, many years, but for some reason has been uh, more successful uh, uh, this time, um, a lot of public service broadcasters have now or have, should restrict, let's say, the supply of sports rights. Also because they have to, to, uh, to save money and, and, and have seen a budget cut. So their, their budgets to acquire sports rights has, of course, uh, uh, is, is, low, is lower than ever, um, I would say. Um, and what we see is, indeed, that a lot of sports rights are no longer bought by public service broadcasters, but more and more by commercials and even more by paid television operators. Um, so there is indeed a, 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 an evolution towards more less sports on free-to-air television, especially public service broadcasting, and more and more to paid television. And of course, some countries have kind of legislation for that, major events legislation, for example. Um, which prevents that migration from free-to-air to pay television, but not all countries have it. And even in those countries uh, where would that have it, um, they, of course, they, 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 they reshuffle that, that, that legislation a bit. Eh? Having read your research, you don't always have a lot to say about your home country. What, why is that? And what does Belgium actually have to teach us about sport, media and culture? Well, Belgium is, is, is a fantastic country. <laughs> it's also a, a, a very special country. Um, sometimes people ask me, tell me about the Belgian media market. And I then have to say, well, actually, there is no such thing as a Belgian media market. Because Belgium as a country uh, hosts actually two communities, uh, a French-speaking community and a Dutch-speaking community, where I am based. Um, and as a result of those linguistic differences, we have no national media market. Uh, so actually Belgium consists of two separate markets, um, two separate media markets, a Flemish one and a Frank, uh, French one. Um, 
And of course, there are some similarities between both, but there is no single there is no single company that operates on both sides of, of, of the market. So we don't have a Belgian public service broadcaster. No, we have a Flemish one and a Wallonian one. Um, and these are totally separated. We have no national newspapers. We have no national broadcasts. Uh, we have one telecom operator which is national and, and which operates, well, actually that's the, the, the only single company operating um, on both sides of the market. It has also a digital television offering. But for the rest, actually, these markets are, are separated. Eh? Um, so Belgium is a market of about 10 million people, 10 or 11 million, but it, it, it's separated in two. So it, it has two markets, one about um, of uh, 6.5 million and one market of about 4.5 million. So we host two very small media markets in one. And that comes, of course, with, with a problem that as a small market, and I always say small is beautiful, but small is also very difficult uh, because you have a disadvantage of scale eh? and there's, uh, there's a lot of chance for market failures, let's say. There are limited resources for production, for advertising, for people and, and, and whatever. So government has to play a very important role in, in, in addressing these, these, these issues. Uh, and as a result of that, we have a very concentrated market. We have two newspapers, two newspaper groups, two broadcast groups, and these are all uh, mingled with each other. So there's a, a large degree of, of, um, of cross-ownership. And what is, what is especially important for our market is we are a cable country. Belgium is a cable country, so everyone is, is on cable here. And in Flanders, we have one cable operator, only one cable operator, which is which has a dominant position. It's called Telenet, and Telenet is part of the Liberty Global Group, so which is which is the second largest cable company in, in, in the world. And Telenet is a nice example of how I think the industry is going forward and, and will go forward in, in the future. I've written some things about that as well. Um, about how the, the distribution companies are vertically integrating themselves and also take part of other stages of, of, of the value chain. In this case, Telenet, which started as a cable operator offering telephony and, 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 and television services, they acquired a free-to-air channel, the second largest in the market. They owned, they owned the, the, the biggest production house in the market. They have 75% in the pay TV markets. Uh, so they, they control the whole chain. And they have all the main t uh, TV sports rights. They, they are a mobile operator. So they have a very dominant position. They're very powerful, of course, um, as a result. It's a nice point to actually widen the discussion because your book um, that you co-authored, of course, covers so many different countries, geographically speaking and in terms of the different types of markets under consideration, what are the, the key threads in terms of policy and regulatory interventions into sports media markets across those countries? I mean, are there, are there macro trends that you can identify? Well, I think these, 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 these things are very obvious in all the countries, and they don't have to do with um, 
uh, with sports in general. I think sport is 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 only one type of, of specific content. And the reason why we're now talking about sports is because the market has changed dramatically over the years. So we have had privatization, first liberalization, um, so that public monopolies were, were, were broken up, let's say, and, and, and many more uh, commercial broadcasts were able to, to enter the market. But that, for example, in terms of liberalization, has not only... Um, created a sports rights market, but also, for example, uh, a, format, a TV format market. Uh, so, uh, formats like Big Brother and all these things, whether you like them or not, um, are now traveling throughout the world, and that, that has also happened with, um, with liberalization. has been privatization, of course, uh, so public service broadcasts being sold, becoming privatized. Um, and in terms of, of, of sports right specifically, we've seen an increasing um, regulation of how sports rights are, 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 are sold actually. Um, some, some, um, some rulings by European Commission, but also in, in, even in the US and, and, and all over the world, um, there, there, there is an, an increasing emphasis on regulating sports. And it, it, it's great that you asked me that question because um, I recently finished a paper and it, it's, it's up for, for publication in the European Journal of Communication um, about looking back to all regulation of, of TV sports rights, we asked the question in whose interest all that regulation actually is and was and has been. Um, and we have argued, well, actually, we argue in the paper that most of the focus of the regulation has been on the selling of the sports rights themselves eh? in the upstream market, as we call it. Um, so this is the process that uh, a sports league is nego negotiating with a, a pay television or, or another broadcaster to buy the rights. And, of course, regulators have addressed the anti-competitive effects of exclusive dealing, of collective selling, and one of the one of the solutions has been that um, sports rights have been a bit carved up in different windows: uh, free-to-air, a pay TV package, a mobile package, a digital package, whatever, um, a summary package, a highlight package, live, and, and all these things. Um, and for example, the Commission, European Commission has always said, well, actually, with all that kind of regulation, we attempt that the European viewer will have a greater choice and a better value. That's actually their ambition to regulate the market. Of course, we can question ourselves, has it really led to greater value, to greater choice and to a better value? Um, and I think it has not. Um, all that kind of regulation has created more competition on the buyer's side, so along among broadcasters, so there's much more competition in the past. Although we have to be honest and that the say that the increased competition has in many many countries only been short-lived. Uh, for example, in the in the UK, we once had uh, Setanta coming into the market and 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 and, and other and Virgin and whatever, but but it's too costly to 
enter the market because of those rights, uh, because of those rights prices, and uh, more competition on the buyer side has created an escalation of the fees. Um, and when we look at the market structures now in a lot of pay TV markets in Europe, we've moved from a monopoly to a duopoly. In the UK, we have Sky and we have BT. Uh, in Germany, have, we, are, we have Deutsche Telekom and, and Sky. In Belgium, we have Belgacom and Telenet. Um, so we have, in most cases, two powerful pay television operators. And these are creating um, enormous biddings for these sports rights, with the result, of course, that these fees are going up. So, and of course, their investments, they need to win back these investments. And because the fact that they win these rights exclusively, they are still kind of a monopolist in terms of, of, of sports rights. So we argue that more competition in the, on the buyer side has led to higher prices, but not really to more competition for consumers to choose between uh, the platforms they, they, they would like television have television services from. Eh? There's been a lot of rhetoric around, of course, the benefits of free markets and the competition that is generated by the entrance of, of new players, which, of course, brings us to the role of the so-called newer digital delivery platforms, including the likes of Facebook Live, live streaming via YouTube, or even Twitter's purchase of uh, the Thursday night uh, NFL rights packages in the US. You also mentioned iPlayer earlier. How are these online platforms and network television interacting and competing? Yeah, well, that's, that, it's, it's something totally new. So it's, it's very difficult to assess um, the future of that. And I think there will be, well, the industry will come to a new, a new balance of that. Um, but it's, in, in the past sports, right, they've sold their rights in terms of television, in terms of uh, free-to-air, pay-TV, mobile, digital, and all these things, I, I think that's no longer sustainable. Because what is television? What is, what is digital? All these markets are coming together as, 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 as you sketch Facebook will become a television platform. Um, they, have, they, they already were an important video platform, but not as, that's not the same as TV, of course, which is, in my opinion, a live medium and probably also a linear medium. Uh, but it's very interesting that Facebook, YouTube and, and, and Twitter and, and, and many other platforms are now looking uh, how to expand into live television as well. As well. Um, which <laughs> comes to, to, to a nice conclusion that actually these platforms, they have not scaled television but they are actually reinforcing television. So television is being reinforced by digital media and Facebook, YouTube and all the other platforms um, are just willing to play by the rules of, 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 of television, let's say. They're just become a new distribution uh, way for the content which has been made for, for many decades, let's say. Um, and that might have an impact on how the rights will be sold, uh, of course, because also television networks have their own websites and all these things. And also sports rights, uh, sports associations are exploring with new ways to, to develop uh, distribution platforms themselves, like becoming an OTT player with, with, sports, uh, with sports supply. 
If you could recommend one book that people wanting a deeper understanding of sport, television, the market, or policy um, should read, what, what would it be? Well, I was um, really surprised by a recent book I, I, I read. It's, it's written by Ramon Lobato and Julian Thomas. It's called The Informal Media Economy. And um, it's not really about sports rights and, and even not about television, although you can, you, you can use it to, to, to analyze some, some, some of the current evolutions. Um, when you look at, at books about media economy, all these books, they focus on well-known, consolidated, regulated industries, the big corporations. But this book really focuses on the informal media economy. Uh, that more often than not operates in, in, in a grey zone, so they, they, they look at the activities in unauthorized media spaces that have a considerable impact, both negative and positive, on the operations and even the legitimacy of the formal media business. And they argue that a lot of innovation, which is going on in the, in the media industries themselves, that that kind of innovation originates from the edges or, or, or entirely outside the boundaries of the media industries. Um, and these informal, in, in most cases even criminal activities, they are occurring outside the official authorized spaces of, of, of the media economy. And in most cases, they beyond the view of, of, of the state. They look, for example, at the, the parallel import of smartphones, uh, second-hand book sellers, illegal copying, of course, uh, collaborative uh, uh, production. Um, and and it's, it, they talk about the, the formalization of the informal media and the deformalization of formal media. Uh, um, for example, uh, Consider YouTube, eh? uh, which is, is now, I think, a promotional vehicle for professional productions. Uh, but that started as, as a video sharing website, eh? as, as a distribution system for user-generated content for unauthorized uploads. Also a lot, a, a lot of sports content. Eh? And as a result of that, um, they, 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 they saw that the platform was growing and the more people were, were they attracted to the platforms, the more issues they got in terms of copyrights, also from sports associations. And as a result, YouTube entered into uh, agreements with, with the Premier League, with the Deutsche Bundesliga, to authorize these, these uploads. So YouTube started much more as an informal media platform, but has now become a formal media company. It, it, it has become big business. Otherwise, you also have the deformalization um, when uh, regulatory relaxation or, or overreach opens up space for informal activities. Uh, for example, um, Google would never, it's, its whole platform, the, the, its operating system Android would never have become such a success without the voluntary developments of the open software community because Android is really based on, on open, open software. So that's what I like about the book is that um, they um, most re approaches they they tend to restrict their focus to formal players and practices, um, but this book really looks at both informal and formal media sectors and places them on on a continuum instead of a binary position. And they say actually 
every media company has something illegal in its business, be it now or in the past and, 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 and otherwise. Eh? Um, and there are many shades of, of, of gray between this formality and informality in the media industries. And I, I was really um, uh, pleased by, by, by this book. When we apply that to, to sports rights, I think that's, I already talked about YouTube, um, but now when I want to see football, I have two options. Either I take a subscription on pay television, uh, which is in most cases uh, expensive, or I search via Google and I search on the internet for illegal streams, sports streams. Um, and then more often than not, I, I, I end up with Russian websites and all these things. Uh, and I am always scared so uh, that, that, that my, uh, my computer will be attacked by viruses. So after one minute, I, I normally turn off the whole system. Um, <laughs> but uh, th this is, this is th the whole evolution towards illegal piracy and, and well, piracy is legal in nature. Um, illegal uh, sports websites is pressuring the industry to do something, to, 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 to come up with, with, with some solutions. And one of the solutions is, of course, <coughs> the over-the-top uh, and, 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 and the online websites operated by sports leagues themselves. Um, but, but, and also YouTube and Facebook and, 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 and all the other platforms coming up with, with similar solutions. Um, so there you see an articulation between the informal and the formal uh, media industry. And I think this, this book is, is, is really interest, interesting to read um, because it just provides a complementary approach for media industries uh, research and, and it provides a new toolkit of, of economic theories um, to analyze uh, the media industries. It's a great recommendation. Now, I'm mindful of the, the time that we're speaking and, and recent events in the UK, just as a set of general observations. What's been the response to people in Belgium to the vote of the UK to leave the European Union? <laughs> well, um, we host European institutions. We, Brussels is our capital, so uh, it, 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 we're really affected to that uh, as well. And secondly, the UK is our biggest export partner, so the UK is, is really important. For, for our country, um, but um, speaking about the UK referendum, I think it's it's it has been a disaster. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's it's. I don't. I mean, we call it the farce. I don't know if, if that is the English word. Um, but the way the whole campaign has been has has been has been done is is has nothing to do with democracy. Uh, some people say referendum is the ultimate uh, uh, democ democratic uh, feature a country can have, and possibly it is, but not the way it, it has run in, 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 in the UK, uh, with both sides, both the Remain and the Leave camp, um, frightening people uh, coming up with, with, with fear, anger, uh, also, a lot of talks about migration. So the whole debate, the whole campaign, was was in, to some extent also. Uh, it's not racist, but still, it's very 
commentary based actually. Um, so it wasn't the best case of how to, to campaign for something, uh, that's for sure. What about the impact of the referendum? Well, we're not sure, of course, it's too early to predict what will happen. And we, we, we will have to wait several months as far as I, 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 I read the newspapers. So it's still fresh. Um, we need to, um, all, all the dust needs to come down at the moment. Uh, but it's worrying to see that even the leaders of the Leave campaign don't know what to do at the moment. So they're, they're really, they really have no plan B. Um, and sometimes I think that they hadn't expected that they would win this, this referendum. Tom, thank you for sharing your insights with the Media Sport podcast series, and I, and I genuinely wish you good luck and Belgium for the rest of Euro 2016. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs>